Welcome back. This is the 34th episode of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. Joining me this month to talk about self-discovery and identity is musician and radio presenter Nabiha Iqbal. Growing up in London, Nabiha loved music since she was little, having learned guitar, piano, sitar, and flute at a young age. She tried out a few different paths, studying ethnomusicology and later law conversion, sat the bar, and worked in the human rights sector, all before finding her way to a career in music. She's renowned for her NTS radio show, which sees her exploring all different genres and styles of music and through her incredible productions like 2017's Weighing of the Heart, she has made a name for herself as one of our music scene's most interesting and inspiring figures. In this conversation, Nabiha and I discuss her personal and artistic identity, her growth as a musician, and the important moments of discovery she's had along the way. Thank you so much for joining me uh, all the way from London. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> so I'm going to start with something that is maybe a bit of an abrupt question, but something that I think is an important starting point for what we're going to talk about today. So I would love to know if you feel like these days you have a pretty good idea of who you are as a person. What a strange question. Um, I think, yeah, I think as as you get older, you get more and more of a better idea of who you are, but... I don't really know how to answer that because the feelings change all the time, you know, and I just feel like, yeah, actually, I'd even take back what I just said about, oh, you work it out as you get older, because that's not true. Um, It's just, I think, like, you just go through different phases in your life and and you can be a different person for each one. Um, So, yeah, I don't really know how to answer that. I mean, I know who I am right now, but I might not know who I am tomorrow or next week, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so these different phases that you go through, um, I don't know, has it taken you some time to kind of feel comfortable in each of those phases? I, th- I think in general, yeah, I do feel comfortable with who I am. There's just different questions that come up, right, from time to time, depending on where you are and what you're thinking about. But yeah, I feel like um, I am comfortable with who I am. And I feel that if you If you're doing something creative, then that's like one of the most important things to have. Um, No matter what your relationship is with yourself and how you feel about yourself, but just knowing and having a certain amount of confidence is really important because otherwise it would really be difficult to, you know, produce work, make music, things like that. Mm -hmm. So can you recall maybe an experience that was sort of a catalyst towards feeling comfortable with who you are maybe a moment where things changed for you and your understanding of yourself became more clear I mean the first thing that comes to my mind is the decision that I made to start using my real name as my artist name and that was in 2017 and um, that was like yeah it felt like a really big change for me even though it shouldn't because it's just my name you know but um, in the run-up to making that decision, and it's something that I've been thought, thinking about for a while because of conversations that I've had that I'd had with other people and just uh, messages I'd received from fans as well saying that they really admired what I was doing, um, you know, as an ethnic minority person as well, and that it, it gave them inspiration. And, and then that caused me to think about identity and who I was in terms of my work and my music in a different way. Mm-hmm. I think for me, for example, it was definitely when I started going to therapy, and that was maybe three or four years ago, um, just in terms of being able to understand myself and my reactions and why I do things the way that I do, 
more clearly than before. Um, yeah, so I'm wondering, I, I don't know, I guess, does that resonate with you at all? Like just kind of learning about yourself uh, is sort of helping you to feel more comfortable or feel more at home in your own skin and like sort of understand your identity a bit more? I, I think so, yeah. I think that would be the case for anyone, right? The more that you um, feel in tune with yourself and more comfortable, then it help you in all your other aspects of life. And I don't know, I feel like maybe I'm the only person who doesn't have therapy, like doesn't have a therapist. Like <laughs> everybody I talk to lately is like, yeah, so I'm having therapy and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, maybe I need to get on that bandwagon. I'm not sure. But um, I don't know, just dealing with things on a daily basis as they are in my brain seems like hard enough and I don't really want to unlock anything else. So just keep going mm-hmm. as I am. <laughs> um, so would you say that who you are as a musician is different to who you are uh, as a person? Are those two separate things? Not separate, but I feel like when I'm working on my music and, you know, just like pure uh, work, which is like purely creative, then... Um, I guess I get like deeper into myself in a sense, or I'll I'll share ideas or thoughts and feelings which might not um, permeate other parts of my life. I definitely felt that with writing my first album, just ideas that I was exploring on that were things that I'd been thinking about, but perhaps never really discussed with anybody. So I wouldn't, yeah, so they're not separate. It's just uh, different levels, I'd say. Is it difficult or maybe challenging kind of trying to keep them uh, as two sort of different levels? No, because I don't really think about it like that. You know, I just, when I'm when I'm trying to write music or words, um, I just kind of like let myself get deeper inside my thoughts. And mm. it's not about um, an idea that, oh, I want to create something which is like, a, a, feels like a separate entity to who I am as a person. It's just another facet of it, let's say, you know, or just kind of digging deeper into things that would otherwise I'd only deal with like on a very surface level so yeah I think uh you can't really escape that you know it's like trying to jump out of your own skin Mm. you you try people who might try and um create a totally separate persona it's never it's never like that it's still part Mm. of who they are even though Mm. they try and pretend it's not well I I just wonder if it maybe gets sometimes overwhelming having these two worlds be so linked together you know having music be such a part of your such a big part of your life um like for example i was reading a guardian interview that you did recently um when your studio had been robbed and all your music equipment and recordings had been stolen and obviously that would be like really heartbreaking no matter what the circumstance but i wonder if it was for you even more so because music is such a part of who you are yeah i mean that was a pretty bad, <laughs> a bad moment last year when that happened. I couldn't really talk. I was just in shock for a few days. Um, you know, if anyone's ever had any work stolen or lost, then they know where I'm coming from. It's really devastating. Um, and um, in terms of it feeling overwhelming, what you asked, I think, yeah, sometimes it does. Um, just because I feel like, the way that we are now, um, you know, artists and DJs or whoever you are, everyone's got social media and you're, and you're kind of seen as like completely accessible to everybody all the time. Mm. And this is where, you know, how I was mentioned earlier about having a persona and a kind of like separation. I definitely don't have that because I think that like everything that I put online about my work or what I'm up to is really personal and it's just earnest and upfront and genuine and so I feel like people really identify with that and that's a great thing because um you know it's it's just nice to have like interactions with people who understand that what I'm doing is totally genuine and things that I'm really enthusiastic about but then the overwhelming side of it comes with just being accessible so receiving messages all the time Mm. from people which is so nice because I love reading about um, how people feel about my radio shows or my music or if they want to suggest a tune to me or just anything I love it but it's hard to um, keep on top of them and always like feel like I can reply and then I feel bad because I don't want people to think that oh I'm just not replying but it's just impossible it's just literally impossible Mm. to be able to 
do all of that and still have like free headspace. It's mm-hmm. just yeah, mm-hmm. it's really difficult. Yeah, is that also is that also something that is challenging? You know, if you have negative feedback, for example, because people have this very direct way of uh, being in contact with you through social media and also through the chat room of your radio show. And I was talking with a chef the other day, and she said that when people criticize her recipes or her YouTube videos or whatever else that it is, she takes that very personally because it's like they're not just saying that her recipes are bad, they're saying that like she is bad because it's a part of her, you know what I mean? So is that something that you have also struggled with? Yeah, I'd say, um, you know, trolling is something that a lot of people experience, but especially if you're a woman and especially if you are from an ethnic background and not white, then those things are uh, magnified, you know, a hundred times. And I've definitely experienced that online with just getting um, like really rude comments about things, just like abuse and stuff. Not really on my own channels as much because I feel like, you know, people wouldn't follow me unless they liked what I did. So mm-hmm. I feel like I've got like a really nice uh, community of followers on on like my own pages, you know, on like my Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. But then once once things are on YouTube or they get shared by other people and obviously on Facebook, everything's really open. And then you definitely do get examples of that. But I, I think, you know, it's really important to just have a thick skin and not let it get to you. And at the end of the day, you just got to remember that like you're doing all these things that, and you know, you're in a really lucky position to be able to share your music with the world and kind of like do that as a full-time job whereas like other people they're just what are they doing all they're doing is like wasting their time at a keyboard just trying to like make other people that they don't even know feel bad so you know if you put it into perspective then yeah it's it you shouldn't really worry about it which is obviously easier said than done because like a lot of those comments especially towards I think if you're a woman, you feel it more because they're always so personal mm. and it's really coming from a place of misogyny, especially in the music world. But um, yeah, actually recently I did this DJ set and uh, for like a big music magazine and then I hadn't looked at the Facebook comments on it, but you know, like you just get all these kind of bros or whatever you want to call them, mm. just thinking they know everything about everything. And so some people were just like going really hard and saying things that were so mean and completely irrelevant. And then I actually felt like, okay, I'm just, I never replied to them, but then I don't know what happened to me that day. I thought, let me just single a couple of them out <laughs> because I feel like, you know, they hide behind this kind of anonymity Definitely. and then they think that they can comment about a person and there won't be any repercussions and that person you know, that artist or DJ won't necessarily re- respond. But then I did, like, on their comments. And I think it freaked a couple of them out, to be honest, <laughs> because I was just like, why, you know, you, why are you saying this about me? It's got nothing to do with anything. Like, you know, you shouldn't really be talking about people like this. What, and and, and um, it made, like, yeah, it definitely made one of them backtrack and he just suddenly got really apologetic. And I thought that was <laughs> quite interesting because, you know, if it wasn't for me saying that, they would have just gone on with this, mm. like, really aggressive stance and just trying to tear someone apart Mm. but then as soon as that person comes out of um you know as soon as it's made like direct and personal because I was right there reading his comment and replying to it then it it was a bit of a wake-up call for him I mean did it feel good to to reply to him it did actually because of the outcome and because I knew I put him in his place and he couldn't really (laughs) defend himself um, with what I was saying so yeah it did it did feel good and I hope that per- I mean I don't even know who it was but whoever it was <laughs> I hope that's kind of made him think differently about what kind of things he should and shouldn't write about other people on the internet. So going back to what we talked about just a few minutes ago about your studio getting robbed um, I wonder if that was also somewhat of a catalyst for self-discovery for you as well like I read that after that happened, you started experimenting with an acoustic guitar because you'd gone to Pakistan to visit your family and that was all, all you were able to get before the lockdown started. And that, that kind of retaught you how to just play an instrument with nothing else. Definitely. I think, um, yeah, one of the things which which was a realization in that whole, after the whole burglary, was the fact that like, I'd made all this music and lost it and I couldn't actually remember all the things that I'd done 
because I, you know, when you're used to working on a computer and recording all the parts in, I don't know, I guess it's different for everyone, but for me, you know, all my music's quite layered and there's loads of different parts and there were loads of guitar parts, but loads of other things too. And I just kind of like go along with it and try and, you know, build it up um, without paying too much attention to try, try and like remember what I'm doing every step of the way. And then I always try and work it out at the end. I'm like, oh no, I have to perform this live. <laughs> um, so yeah, just actually going back to the traditional route of trying to write a basic song structure or come up with things on an instrument and therefore like you're playing it over and over again and it's getting into your head and you're remembering it and just like that whole um, process of of having a physical instrument and playing it and not having nothing else around you, no recording equipment. Um, feels really refreshing, which is kind of a strange thing to say because it's so basic. But it's, I think we could easily slip out of that, you know, in the digital age where like with Ableton or Logic or whatever other program you're using and you can just record things straight away and then not have to worry mm. about it. So is that something you're going to be continuing with? Definitely, definitely. I think it just changes the whole process of how you think about mm. music as well when you when you take a very stripped back approach. So, yeah, I'm definitely carrying on mm. with that. And um uh, after that music got lost and I kind of like recovered some of it, I did one live show last year, which was my only live show of 2020. And it was a solo live performance just with me and a guitar and a mic and some pedals. And I was uh, playing the music that I'd lost. And that felt really nice too, because it was just like really, well, you know, it was really, it was complicated. It's not, hard, it's not an easy thing to do with like all the loop pedals and stuff, but it was just felt like nice um to just yeah to take like a a simpler approach simple but not easy if you know what i mean <laughs> the young sinner steps up to the mark with flowers in his hair and freedom in his heart here comes the crowd quick quick gather round he wants to scream, but he won't make a sound. Suffocated by their earthly greed. Was it also maybe, when, it, when you said it was difficult, I thought you were going to say difficult, like, emotionally. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an emotional show for me, actually, just because of everything that had happened in, in 2020. I know yeah, everybody in the world has been affected by coronavirus but then yeah for me it was like a series of things that just really felt like setbacks at the time like obviously the burglary was a huge one and losing two years worth of work and then um getting stuck abroad in lockdown for two months and not being able to I felt like I wasn't really doing um enough work but actually that was a blessing in disguise mm. because I was really ill before that from just burnout from constant touring for two years so that sorted me out and then I felt good but then I got COVID and then I was really oh, no. ill and so yeah so it was just like all these things and every time I felt a bit better something else happened yeah. and I just mentally I was just feeling worn out so when it got to December and I got the chance to do that really special show in the Victorian Albert Museum mm. here in London um, even though there was like no you know there was no audience it was just the crew <laughs> it felt it felt really good yeah mm. And I'm glad I did it. What else can you tell me about your time spent with your family in Pakistan? Uh, obviously, you were born in London, but I wonder if spending time sort of close to your roots in that way is important for self-discovery as well. Like, what did you learn about yourself in that time? Well, last year's trip to Pakistan, it was an emergency trip and I had to fly out basically the day after my studio got burgled because... My granddad, who's my favorite person in the whole world, had a brain hemorrhage and he was in hospital and we really thought he might die. So, um, you know, those two things happening straight after one another was so intense. But like my granddad being critically ill completely eclipsed how I felt about the burglary. And and that made me realize that, you know, f how important family is and how nothing else really matters un unless like you and the people that you love around you are all like well and healthy and so um you know I, I hadn't even like processed what had happened here in in the studio and then 
I had to just leave the next day and then and then like the week after it was locked down so it was loads of things that happened in quick succession mm. um but in the end I en- yeah I ended up spending two months in Pakistan and it was just great because I, I love my grandparents so much and it's nice to spend time with them especially since they're getting older and uh on that trip for the first time I became really interested in um like the the sort of daily herbal remedies mm. that my grandparents used and it was something that you know I'd seen all the time but I'd never really thought about it or asked them anything and I don't know what happened just on that trip I was like oh why do you take these things and like what are you growing in your garden what and what does this mean and I started making um, little videos about different herbs and spices and plants that um, are used in like for medicinal purposes in Pakistan and you know that have been used for thousands of years in that part of the world and then it became the most popular thing on my Instagram (laughs) (laughs) which wasn't even anything to do with music um but it was that yeah so like that it was it was definitely um a whole period of self-discovery for sure because through learning about those things you definitely get more in touch with your roots and your culture and you think about um you know, ideas of like communities across the world and the like, you know, the diaspora community, but then also like the history of trade and colonialism and how all of these, um, all of these, I don't know, herbs and plants have been commodified and and uh, are are available to us here in a very different mm. way to how they are back back in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, it seems like those are the kind of things that have been like co-opted and, and now cost like 50 euros or something in a in a shop here to get the same thing that people in Pakistan have been using for centuries. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And like, I think turmeric's a really good example of that. Mm. In Urdu is called haldi and it's been, it's been used in, you know, South Asia really for thousands of years. And um also in in parts of Africa where it grows as well but over here it seems like it's one of the latest kind of health food fads and everyone's having like turmeric mm-hmm. lattes and stuff um so yeah it's, it just makes you really think about that you know that sort of cultural exchange and commodification and history and like all of this knowledge that our grandparents generation has but it's getting lost with each newer generation whether you're still in that country or whether you you were born and bred abroad so yeah it sparks off a big thought process Mm. so are those kind of experiences with travel and you know immersing yourself in another culture whether that's your own culture or uh, somewhere else in the world that you've never been before uh, are those experiences really necessary for kind of getting to know yourself um obviously that's something that we're really missing right now so I wonder yeah is that something that you are feeling the feeling the sort of loss of being in lockdown for so long yeah I mean for sure I I I I feel really lucky that I've been able to travel so much through my music um you know played all around the world and I really feel that traveling is one of the most important forms of education really Mm. because you can never you can never really truly make um, a judgment about place unless you've gone there yourself and you've got your own experience of it to base it on whatever that may be so um, yeah I am definitely missing it but at the same time also not just because like the touring schedule was so intense and in 2018 and 2019 I did like more than 50 flights a year, which is nuts. Um, And, you know, I felt like, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's not going to catch up with me. But then it did. And I got really ill at the end of 2019. So um, I I feel like a lot of people, um, a lot of musicians and DJs are actually uh, with me on this and actually, you know, not too disappointed about the fact that their bodies and their minds are just getting proper rest right now Mm. which is really important but at the same time it means like not working as much and um not having like that fun experience of traveling and meeting new people and new crowds and um seeing how they respond to your music in different parts of the world yeah and as a so as a musician are you also learning learning things about music culture in the different places that you're 
visiting, like you mentioned, uh, just being able to see how different crowds respond. But I wonder about actually learning about the different musical traditions and things like that. Uh, I know that you spent some time in Africa, for example, working as a lawyer, but also getting involved in the music scene there. And I wonder how those experiences have impacted your perception of music or your approach to it. Well, I'm I'm really interested in all different types of music from all around the world. And, um, you know, music's always been my favorite thing growing up. But then the the moment which really like sparked off like a newfound interest and appreciation of different musics and cultures was when I went to university and I studied history and ethnomusicology at the School of Oriental and African Studies in the University of London. And that was the first time I'd really um, experienced so many different types of music from around the world and studied about what they meant in different cultures and the significance of it. And yeah, it, it just blew my mind, honestly. It was it was an amazing experience. And ever since then, every time I travel, I'm always super interested to find out about the local music scene and try and like um, experience a bit of it if I can. So um, one thing I always do is I make a lot of field recordings on my travels and then I share those on my radio shows too. And sometimes it can be recordings of music and, you know, musicians that I find, or it could just be like the street or the bird song, or just, you know, different soundscapes. But I think all of those are really evocative. And then um, one thing which is really a good perk of traveling because of music, it means that wherever you go, you're automatically sort of propelled into the center of like the local music scene there. And you're with people who mm. are locals and they can show you around and they can really tell you what you want to know depending on how curious you are and like show you good music shops, record shops and things like that. So I always try and take full advantage of that as well. And I really love buying records of um, like local music. I was just listening to the flute episode of your NTS show and you talked about a time during your travels in Japan where you were at a temple and you came across someone playing the shakuhachi and how it really stuck with you. Um, can you tell me a bit about that experience? Like what was so special about it? Uh, and how did it impact you as a musician or impact your philosophy as a musician? Yeah, even just thinking about it now is giving me goosebumps because um, yeah, I think it was really one of the most intense musical experiences that I've ever had in my life. And yeah, we were in this temple in Kyoto, which is like off the beaten track, you know, so there's not it's not touristy or anything there was hardly anyone there I think maybe I only saw one or two people and we'd found it in a strange way as well because walking along the philosophers walk along the river through Kyoto and then there was this old man and he was um he was like drawing things on little rocks and selling them and he looked really poor which kind of unusual you don't really see a lot of homeless or poor people in Japan when you're out and about it's quite rare but then this guy he was really old and his shoes were all broken like the soles were hanging off his shoes and he just looked I don't know I felt really I felt really bad for him when I saw him but he, he was in a happy mood though anyway and he was drawing these things and he was selling them and I stopped to look and then I picked up one of the pebbles with his the one with the drawing that I liked the best and then I said that I would, I'd buy that off him and he didn't speak any English but then he was kind of like looking pointing at the picture on the rock and he was like honing in to, like saying it was a temple and then he was like pointing down the road and he was like that way that way and so I was like okay cool but I still was just like I'm just gonna I don't know I didn't think about it I just bought the I just bought the pebble with the with the picture on it and then we carried on and then I saw a sign saying Honan in temple and then um I was with my boyfriend and I said to him I was like I think that's the place where they, the old guy was trying to tell us about on and the thing the thing he drew on the on the pebble so we went there and that's how we found it so the whole thing felt really mystical anyway because like if that old man on the bench hadn't been there then I would have never have gone to have that experience, you know. So it, it starts, it's not just the shakuhachi, but it starts like <laughs> way before that with this old guy selling his little rock drawings. So then, yeah, that's how we went to Honanin Temple because we wouldn't have gone there anyway otherwise. Um, and we're just walking through the temple grounds and it was like getting to, you know, it was evening time, it was dusk and it was raining a bit. And then there was also like the sound of the river um, 
through all the trees but then the sound of the rain as well I don't know and if anyone's been to Kyoto then you'll know what I'm talking about it's like this lush green forest that covers all of those hills and mountains around that area and it, it really no wonder there are so many temples there because it really feels like a very peaceful place with good energy like good feng shui <laughs> and, um and yeah, and I was just walking through, and then I started hearing this music, and it was the it was chimes and also ch- shakuhachi, and it was coming from this small hut. So it's obviously being played by people inside, but all the doors were shut, and the shut, you know, there were blinds were down on the windows, like you couldn't see inside. And there was this the, another old man just sitting on the stoop outside, and he was looking at me, and I felt like it, maybe I could go and ask him if I could maybe go inside, but then. You know, I don't really, I don't speak Japanese and maybe it was like a special religious ceremony. So there's no way that I was going to do that. Although I really, (laughs) in a way, you know, I wanted to see what was going on inside, but in a way, perhaps the music was even more um, poignant because I couldn't see who was playing it. I could just hear it. And so then I just stood outside the hut and I made a recording of it. And it really, the music was so beautiful. It just made me start crying, <laughs> like, because I don't know. And I can't explain it, really. It's just, there's like a few moments of that in my life where I can really think about music having a really profound emotional effect on me. And that's one of them. And then I just, yeah, I just stood there probably for about 15 minutes just listening and then also making a little recording of it. And it was, it was so beautiful, that music. It's just amazing. The recording that you shared uh, on your show is really incredible. Like sometimes with field recordings, I find they don't really give you that same sense that you're there, but this one really, really did. Yeah, I, you know, I've had a lot of feedback since I shared that one on the radio because I played it on the flute special, but then also my one of my shows that I'm doing for this series on BBC Six Music at the moment. And a lot of friends, but also strangers, have got in touch about listening to that field recording of the Shakuhachi and how it made them feel. So, yeah, there's definitely something deeper there, you know. I feel like music is definitely the most spiritual art form and it makes us feel things that we don't feel from other forms of art that's you know that's my opinion um and I think that the power of that shakuhachi music just you know it still transmits even through like a field recording that I just because at the time like I didn't have my record with me I think I just made it I have like a a mic which I can slot into my iPhone and make like Mm. good quality recordings through that so I think that's what I used and it's just crazy how people here on the other side of the world are hearing it in a completely removed context but still feeling something like I felt when I heard it. If you're enjoying AIR and you want to hear more stories like this one, check out Bear Radio, Berlin's English-speaking podcast network. AIR is produced in partnership with Bear Radio, which is also home to a number of other great shows. A favorite of mine is Paul Hanford's Lost in Sound, which, like AIR, uncovers the stories of how we come together through music and what role it plays in our lives. And for those looking to stay up to date on the happenings here in Berlin, there is Berlin Briefing, a local news podcast in English, hosted by Abby and Albert Menacher and airing every weekday. There are currently 24 podcasts and hundreds of episodes available, so head over to bearradio.org to listen.
So is running something like your NTS show also an important part of your journey and sort of self-discovery? I imagine that just the act of like exploring so many different kinds of music and digging for tunes on a regular basis must be just such a great process for you, like especially people sending you music all the time. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I actually just celebrated my eight-year anniversary on NTS. Congratulations. (laughs) With with yesterday's show, which just feels nuts, to be honest, because like, one, it makes me feel a bit old. I'm like, wow, I've been doing this radio show for eight years. But then also just thinking about how much music I've covered in eight years worth of NTS shows. And I'm always quite adamant about, you know, not playing the same thing twice. It's definitely been, been a couple of repeats because there's music that I really like and I just want to play it again. But on the whole, it's always different every time. And um, yeah, so it feels like a real achievement for me. That must be loads of work. Yeah, it is a lot of work. <laughs> it is. It really is a lot of work, especially when I have themed shows. So, for example, the yesterday's one was um, about African guitar music and mm-hmm. just looking at different examples of guitar music from a across the continent and it takes yeah it takes a lot of preparation a lot of research but I love doing it and so I don't mind you know putting in the hours and I think it pays off because of um, you know the show's definitely got a strong following and it's popular and it's led me to get opportunities to to do shows on the BBC as well so I feel like I'm going in the right direction. But it's just because I love music so much and I'm a geek about it. And I quite like taking that academic approach to putting a radio show together and researching the music and finding out about it. And then just sharing all the information that I find out myself because I think it's really interesting and other people might want to know about it too. Definitely. So does that kind of musical exploration with your radio show but also you know, with the with the studying that you did at university, does that all find its way into your production somehow? Like, for example, your debut album, The Weighing of the Heart, which came out on Ninja Tune a few years ago, uh, kind of had this sort of eclectic feel to it. And I wonder if that is linked to the kind of exploration that you're doing with your radio show or your studies or something else. Yeah, people ask me that a lot. And to be honest, like, I'm sure all of those things do affect my um, like creative process but I think it's all quite subconscious because it's not something that I think of actively like oh I want I want my music to sound like it's influenced by gamelan from Indonesia or something I, I don't think about it in that way at all and it's not about um, you know direct sonic influences let's say but more about the ideas and learning about the importance of music and what it means to people in different contexts and the history of it and why we've always had it since the beginning of humanity and I feel like every single musician is on a quest to get to the essence of what music is and some people are a lot closer to it than others and a lot further along in the journey you know when you look at people like like Michael Jackson, for example, who's like the biggest pop star of all time ever. And and you think like his music got through to millions of people all around the world pre-internet. And he's still, you know, so widely recognized. Or someone like Bob Marley, for example. You, you can't um, recreate that. You can't recreate that magic because, and that's why it's associated so strongly with that's why you have like pop stars or musicians that are really famous right because it's them and it's something it's something that nobody can quantify so yeah I feel like every single musician is just on that same journey of trying to like get to the meaning of what music is and how to reach the most people through it. And so how is that journey going for you like would you say that you are coming close to figuring that out for yourself? No, I'm definitely not coming close to it, but I'm thinking about it all the time. And and obviously now I'm working on the second album. It's like, you know, I feel the pressure of it as well. But in a way, I feel like maybe you shouldn't think about the, you know, you shouldn't pressurize yourself because then maybe that's not the right approach. I don't know. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's tough. It's tough. And, and I th- it's something I think about whenever I listen to other music as well, like, why is this music why does this music exist what's it saying what effect is it having on me why is it so popular why is it not popular you know 
all of these things and I don't know considering everything that's happened to me and everyone I guess over the last couple of years I just want to like my main aim with this next record is just making music that makes people feel good when they listen to it you know that's my main aim but I don't know so far so far I'm like still it still sounds a bit too moody because I can't get away, <laughs> can't get away from that, but I'm trying. So how do you experience the act of distilling all your influences into your music? Like, I'm sure it's not something that you do like super purposefully, but for example, um, Niels from The Pianist told me that for him it's really natural and something that he doesn't ever really try to separate because the way that he experiences the world all finds its way into his music you know, everything from like laughter or boredom or anger or depression or, you know, any experiences that he has while he's traveling or just being at home, all of that comes into the music just on its own. Yeah, one 100%. I think that um, we're all inspired by every single thing around us and you can, it can come from anywhere, you know, you could be inspired by the smallest thing. Like this morning I just woke up like super early but then I was just laid in bed for half an hour just listening to the bird song outside because there's just one bird that's there every morning and it has like such an interesting bird song and it really feels like it's saying something well you know they're obviously having a conversation with with each other all the birds but (laughs) the intonations and stuff I was like what are you on about (laughs) you know there's something there there's a message in every every section every time you know it it sings and then there's a pause and then it sings again and in those breaks you'll hear like another bird replying from somewhere else mm-hmm. and every time the bird sings it's different so it's it's saying it's saying something so that for me that was like the inspiration of this morning and I was really I really want to know what kind of bird bird that was <laughs> so um yeah you know so that's it it's just you're just thinking about things all the time and uh different like you know different moments or uh Anything can basically spark your imagination, I think, and give you an idea for something as soon as you wake up. If only there was a Shazam for birds. I know. There, there might be, you know. <laughs> I'll search it later. There's got to, I, put, I made a recording of it and I put it on my Insta stories and asked if anybody knew what this bird is. So I'll have to check. <laughs> um, so in an interview from a few years ago, you talked about how when you go into the studio, You do so without any inhibitions and you don't really think too much about how you want your records to sound. Um, So I I guess that must be a really fun, fun way of working uh, and a really sort of big way of exploring your own abilities and style. Can you, yeah, can you tell me about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't really feel like that right now. Now I'm like, oh, I need to... You know, the pro- I was thinking about this the other day, like the, the place, the headspace I was in and the, the kind of like, yeah, the place I was when I was making the first album is so different to this second one now. A lot has happened since then and um, it feels hard. It feels like a lot harder. I don't know. It's because when, when I make music, it's, it's such a personal thing because I do it all myself. Like I did everything on the first album myself and... I want to do that again for the second album. And that's not because I'm averse to collaborating or anything, because I do love collaborating, but I feel like the journey of putting a whole body of work together that makes up an album is so, um, it's such a personal endeavor anyway. And so that's how I want to preserve it for this one too. And yeah, I don't know if I feel that way now about like, oh, I don't think about how I want it to sound, but maybe I should, I forgot I said that. Maybe I, maybe I should take that approach. <laughs> right now I'm just like making loads of stuff and then I'm like, oh, this is not good enough. And then I just delete it, but maybe I just shouldn't do that. Maybe that's just the pressure of like the sophomore album always kind of has that sort of extra level of pressure when your first one does well, then you want it to kind of the next one to live up to it, you know? Yeah, well, you just want the next one to be even better right? mm-hmm. than the first one. That's what everybody wants.
So The Weighing of the Heart was also your first release under your own name. You mentioned this uh, a bit earlier in the conversation. So do you think that your sound or style has changed at all since making that change? Like, do you feel perhaps more free or maybe less free to explore and sort of get weird with your with your own name attached to your work? Well, the other day I was actually, you know, like sorting out my iTunes and I found music that I was making in 2011 and probably and maybe some that's even earlier than that so and I haven't listened I hadn't listened to it for years so and then it just got me listening through to like everything I've made basically so far mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's always changing it's really constantly changing so when I even compare Weighing of the Heart to the EP that I put out the year before House of Silk it's totally different and um, I think you know that's that's a good thing because like you shouldn't really be repeating yourself mm. as an artist. So with Weighing of the Heart, I really pushed myself out of the comfort zone and it was the first time I really used my voice properly and tried to sing and that felt very scary, but then it also felt really nice as well because it adds like another layer of storytelling um, to the music and to whatever message or feeling or story that you're trying to convey. It just gives you another channel through which to do it. And so... Yeah, I, th- I actually think, yeah, the, obviously this next album is going to sound different again from Weighing of the Heart. And I don't know, I'm definitely feeling like actually way more experimental, which sounds mm. like the music that I was doing like 2009 or something when mm-hmm. I was really into like drone and noise and I was in a noise band. I mean, I don't think it's going to be abrasive like that. But when I was prepping for the solo guitar show that I did at the VNA and I just like really, use, you know, using a lot of, effects pedals and looping and things like that and I actually I love I love that approach so much so I might try and yeah filter some of that through into the record Mm -hmm. so going back to the this decision to use your own name you talked about this a bit earlier but I know it was an important moment for you as a producer um can you tell me a bit more about what brought that on and how you experienced that transition yeah so well I mean, before that, I was just using this moniker throwing shade. And that was just um, like a phrase that I really liked from the film Paris is Burning. And then it also, like when I watched that film, it coincided with my first ever trip to New York. And so it was quite like uh, evocative for me. But then, um, you know, I think I, I started using that moniker in like maybe 2010 or something. And at that time, I had no idea that I'd be going on to do music full time. It was just like for fun on the side of law school or whatever else I was doing because me and my friends in London we always used to put on parties together and just like DJ and put on shows and stuff so that's where it all started um so I hadn't really you know I hadn't really thought about it that much and I I had never picked it as a moniker to be with me forever as an artist in my own right so once um you know like the music side of my life started gathering more momentum and then I got to this point where I was actually doing music full time um and then just like you know that my experiences of being me in the UK music industry and trying to navigate everything um made me think more about identity for the first time really I hadn't really thought about it before you know just thinking about me and who I am and the space that I'm occupying and what kind of what kind of message am I giving out to the world and what kind of people listening to my music and following what I'm doing. And then it just got to a point where I just thought, you know what, I just want to, um, I just want to use my real name, Nabiha Iqbal, because you never, when you think about it, when you look at like chart music or what gets played on the biggest radio stations here in the UK or even, you know, like in the wider Western world, you hardly ever see any artists being um, promoted who have like ethnic names Hmm. and once that once that really dawned on me I was like that is mad and you know that the reason for that is something deeper than just like oh there aren't any it's not about that at all it's about like fitting in and like being accessible and all these kind of things and I started having conversations with friends of mine who also come from minority backgrounds and just the feelings around one's name and this idea that like, you know, from a young age of people, like teachers always used to call me nabs because like they don't come be bothered to say my whole name. 
things like that you just feel like oh no one's going to be able to say my name or my name's weird or well, I don't think that I love my name but um you know but but that's like a true you know it's a real thing like a lot of people feel those kind of inhibitions or um what's the word just you know they just feel shy about who they are and so much of that has to do with just being yourself and owning it and owning your name so yeah all of those ideas and thoughts were in my mind when and then I came to the decision to actually use my real name and just like now it feels good when I see it on a festival lineup you know and like I like that it's on there with all the other names and there just needs to be a lot more of that. Mm. I mean I know that also there's been these sort of preconceptions where people are kind of gatekeeping who can play what and have that be like normal like people seem to think that you playing guitar was some really sort of groundbreaking uh different thing which I think is very silly um but yeah has using your own name also helped in in that respect yeah it's just given it just it just feels like the right thing to do even though it was a difficult decision it felt like the right thing to do if that makes sense so um yeah I feel way better for it and I hope that, you know, it just inspires... Well, I know I, I do get messages from people saying, like, it's inspired other people to also f- do the same thing and just, like, use their real name and not have to worry about an artist moniker. Um, and and it feels strange, like, it's a talking point because, obviously, if my name was, like, Anna or Lucy, we wouldn't even be having this chat at mm. all, you know? But, yeah, so it just needs to be normalised, really. Like, all all names and all types of people in music just needs to be normalized and got, we're still like quite a long way off that. Mm-hmm. So in an article for Dazed on this topic that you wrote, uh, you said that certain questions were coming up for you a lot. Things like, how do people see me? How do I see myself? Can I be the person that I am and still do the things that I want to do? Will I be accepted? I'm wondering about those questions and do you feel like you've found the answers to those questions since that article came out? Um, how are you thinking about those questions now? I feel that things have changed a lot in the last few years in general. So even maybe since I wrote that article or in, you know, just looking off, looking out over like the last eight years of even doing my radio show, um, there's definitely uh, like the internet and just accessibility has made everything a little bit more egalitarian. And the fact that like people can um, share their music so easily, they can make music so easily, and they can also been, build fan bases themselves without having any of the kind of like traditional music industry infrastructure. That has been an amazing change and like a force for good, I think. Um, so, so like even when, when I compare sort of this let's say like the London music scene now to how it was when I first started putting on parties around 2010 it's totally different and there's like a lot more diversity and I feel like um you know there's a lot of like ethnic minority communities in London that have been here for a really long time and there's there's like young people coming out of those communities now who are concentrating on arts and you know art or fashion or music and it's and they're doing really well and and it just feels it just feels great you know because like there was definitely a time where that wasn't even um a possibility and so I feel like we're moving in the right direction just got to keep going though and how did those questions look to you when you were younger were the answers maybe different when you were growing up and maybe you hadn't done as much soul searching as you have done now? I didn't think about them when I was younger. I think that's the whole thing, which I mentioned, I think, right at the beginning of our conversation about how you don't think about these kind of things until you're older. Mm. I really feel that because, like, when I was young, let's say, like, when I, you know, when I started going to gigs when I was 13, when I got really into, like, punk and metal music, yeah, I would be probably the only... <laughs> non the only person there who wasn't white at a gig or something but I never thought I didn't think about it and I never felt like the odd one out because I was just always with my friends and we're always having a good time um and I feel like you know a lot of those sort of music musical environments or music communities are really welcoming in general you know they're a lot more chilled than let's say other aspects of life um but yeah I never I never thought about it I never thought about it growing up as Mm -hmm. a teenager because it just 
you just don't i i think um when you're when you're younger it's not it's not one of those like things that you can like torments you from the moment you wake up you just sort of don't think about it but then as you get older and you start thinking more about um questions of identity and like who you are and where you come from and like your family and your background and the history all of those things then culminate in this idea in this real sort of like introspective search to figure out who you are especially being um, from a minority background but living in the diaspora but these are things that you just don't think about really when you're when you're a kid or like as a teenager Mm -hmm. so I know that when you were growing up uh, although your parents were encouraging of you learning about music and exploring that interest there wasn't like a set sort of palette of interest presented to you so that really allowed you to figure out what you liked and what you wanted to seek out more of Um, can you elaborate a bit on that that freedom of choice and why it was important for you when I look back at it now I'm really grateful for all of the opportunities that my parents gave me and um, my brothers and sisters because uh, they were really kind of like focused on making sure we had all the extracurricular activities available and did as much music and as much sport as possible and all of those things. Well, they were pretty strict on like schoolwork and making sure that you got good grades and worked hard. And I feel like any <laughs> immigrant parents are the same and like, people know what I'm talking about if they've got immigrant parents, you know, just there's this like a, a real strong focus on just, you know, academia and getting through school and, but that, you know, it's all, it's all good, but you need that. And I'm glad they were like that. Um, but yeah, just like, I don't know, my parents weren't especially musical or anything. They never like listened to music in the house, you know, or anything like that. So they don't really understand why I'm like this but um I you know they always talk about how I was just obsessed with music from day one and like my first musical obsession was Michael Jackson when I was just like one or two (laughs) um so yeah but I'm just yeah grateful for all the opportunities that they were they worked really hard so that I could have and um you know when I first made the transition when I was like right I'm not going to do law I'm just going to do music it was really difficult because for them they thought they had you know their daughter was going to become a barrister and then I turned around I was like actually no so um yeah that (laughs) sometimes they're still a bit like oh like what are you doing but on the whole on the whole they're fine with that and at least you know I know other people who's who whose parents don't even know what they do because they're just too scared to tell them that they're a DJ or they're doing music and things like that. And I'm really glad that, you know, my family's pretty chilled in that respect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting because I was not like pushed, but definitely nudged into certain activities and things like that when I was younger and none of them stuck. And writing about music only came to me when I was like totally on my own, living in another city, uh, far away from my family and trying things that I liked on my own for the first time, sort of. Um, So it was like quite a late start for me, I think. So do you think that making those discoveries about what you liked when you were younger maybe opened things up for you even more uh, later in life or now? Well, I mean, I, music was always my favorite thing growing up, but I never, ever had a plan to be a musician or a DJ or a radio presenter or any of those things. Obviously, like in my dreams, that was like my dream scenario. Like, oh, I wish I could just do music. And, you know, that's why I feel crazy because it's actually kind of come true. Well, it has come true. So it wasn't that like I had all these musical opportunities early on to kind of like pave the way for me to then go and do music as a profession and and when I think about it you know I I could have I didn't start as early as some other people right because I did so much you know I did my undergrad and then I did a master's and then after that I did law conversion I was focusing on law so um like all my like early 20s was just it was just focused on that, like history and then law and not music. But I was always doing music on the side. It just it just made me realize that you can never really plan your life. Like there's some things that are going to happen and um, and you can't stop them from happening. <laughs> what would you say were some of the most important discoveries you made when you were younger that impacted your life and your musical path? Just feeling the 
feelings that music can give you that nothing else gives you and I have like really early memories of that you know there's just certain songs like whenever they came on the radio you just feel a certain way you just want to keep hearing that and you know those are the days of like taping songs off the radio and like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how you'd make your like little music collection so um yeah just things like that and just being really interested in in new music as well so I always used to listen to XFM which is like the alternative music station but now it's like a bit more commercialized and they call it Radio X and it's a bit different (laughs) but at night there used to be this well it's still on this show called Exposure presented by John Kennedy and it started at like 11 p.m and he would just go through all the new releases on small independent labels from around the UK but also internationally and I always used to stay up late to listen to that show because it was such a good way of finding out about new music and what people were doing and again this was like pre-internet so it's hard to explain it now like when I talk to my little brothers and sisters about it like but then how did you find out about gigs and stuff (laughs) there wasn't any internet (laughs) (laughs) um which makes me sound like I'm some like really archaic but I'm not it's just that technology has changed so so quickly so um yeah, uh, I guess yeah. It's the difference between like millennial and Gen Z, and like my little brothers and sisters are Gen Z. So, <laughs> they're, like they found some like tapes, like cassette tapes, at home the other day, and they're like, "What is this?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" Oh, no. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I guess is it is. Do you think that it's just as important to keep yourself open to? all of these sort of influences and inspirations and discoveries, like maybe more so than it is to actually have the discoveries, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think um, I think anybody who truly loves music and truly appreciates it should come at it with a completely open mind because um, there are things to learn and to appreciate in every single culture and every single type of music around the world and even if when you hear it it feels totally alien and incomprehensible to you but there's something behind that that, right like there's always a story and a purpose and a reason why people have been making that music or singing in that way or whatever it is so I just feel like yeah just having an open mind is is probably the most important thing in anybody's approach to music because you just there's just so much to learn and 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 you should never also you should never you should never also create some sort of hierarchy in your mind you know I think like every single type of music is valid no matter where it comes from or how old it is yeah and that's like the magic of it really it's like nobody even knows the answer as to why we have music but we do So what parts of yourself are you hoping to explore in the future, whether that's through music or otherwise? Well, parts of myself maybe that I don't know yet, so I can't say. (laughs) Um, I don't know. There's definitely, yeah, things to unpack, which I haven't yet. But I just really enjoy the whole process of... um, of just trying out different sonic ideas and then getting to a point finally where you feel like you've really like you've you've unearthed something and you've uncovered something and you and and that's going to be a good idea and you're going to finish it and it's going to sound like a good song because to get to that moment of creative epiphany you probably have to do like 10 hours of work or something and like it feels it feels it feels frustrating but then unless you go through that whole process you're never going to get to that point where you come up with the idea that you like Like, it's Mm. just impossible to just sit down and be like cool here's a song that I just made straight away in half an hour I mean you can do that but it's not gonna (laughs) I don't think it's gonna be it's not going to be true to yourself you know so it's like a different process like whether you're sitting down to make you're just writing songs for the sake of writing them because you're, you know, like you're churning them out maybe to work with like other songwriters or something because that is an approach that people take. And I also admire that, like how people can just sit down and maybe like churn out three songs a day or like three song ideas a day because I'm totally not like that. Um, But yeah, like for me, the whole process of making songs and making music is 
a process of self-discovery as well. So when you ask me what parts am I looking forward to discover about myself, I don't even know yet. But I hope that like some new parts of them that are worth sharing come out for the next record. been listening to Nabiha Iqbal for Air Podcast episode 34. We'll be back on the last Wednesday of every month, so come back in June for another episode. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at at underscore air podcast or visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash air podcast to find out how you can support what we're doing. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.